This is Bob Hoffman, author of Advertising for Skeptics, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you are a listener, to the Marketing Book Podcast. If I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever you need to learn more about, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll do my best to point you in the right direction. I produce this podcast to help me and my listeners keep up with the latest ideas in the quickly changing world of marketing and sales in order to remain successful. My day job is running a marketing agency that helps manufacturers and industrial companies to become better known, liked, and trusted in this modern era of the customer who doesn't want to be marketed or sold to. To learn more about the problems we solve, visit salesartillery.com. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome Bob Hoffman to the Marketing Book Podcast for the fourth time to talk about his book, Advertising for Skeptics. Bob Hoffman is a best-selling author, speaker, and advisor. He's one of the most sought-after international speakers on advertising and marketing. He's the author of four other books, Marketers Are From Mars, Consumers Are From New Jersey, 101 Contrarian Ideas About Advertising, Bad Men, How Advertising Went from a Minor Annoyance to a Major Menace, and Laughing at Advertising. He's the author of the popular Ad Contrarian blog, named one of the world's most influential marketing and advertising blogs by Business Insider. Bob has been the CEO of two independent ad agencies and the U.S. operations of an international agency. But Enough about Bob. Let's talk about what others have to say about Bob. Time Magazine has called him fabulously irreverent. NBC said, Bob Hoffman is a wicked acid tongue genius. Professor Mark Ritson has said, Bob is one of our truly great marketing iconoclasts. And Professor Byron Sharp has said, I'm jealous. I wish I was brave enough to be this Rude. And his former business partner, Sharon Krinsky, said, He's a really nice guy who wants you to think he's a prick. And interesting fact in his youth, he responded to an ad and was hired to be a writer of adult fiction. He lasted one day. Bob, congratulations on advertising for skeptics and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you, Douglas. It's great to be back here for the fourth time. I think, when when do I get to go full-time on the payroll? How many times do I have to be on? Well, there are, uh, there's a little bit of competition. You're now the fourth current member of the Marketing Book Podcast Four-Timers Club. There's one member of the Marketing Book Podcast Five-Timers Club, David Merrin Scott, and there are two who are members of the Marketing Book Podcast Six-Timers Club. So it'll be a while before you get on the payroll, but... You will be getting uh, early bird discounts at any Oakland area Denny's restaurant. That that in itself is worth it. Yeah, that is why you write the books. Yeah, that I write the books that make the whole world throw up or something. I don't get. Well, you you uh, you piss off a lot of people, and that's why I I love you, Bob Hoffman. So. The listeners should know that uh, you and I have met. We, you were the keynote speaker at Michael Gass's Ad Agency New Business Conference in uh, Nashville a few years back, and that was when Michael Gass, in a rare display of poor judgment, made me the master of ceremonies, and it was great fun. And we've, you and I have broken bread. We have had adult beverages together, and uh, then I have interviewed you uh, three other times about your books. And you know what? I was just giving a a virtual presentation to a group in Boston this week. Uh-huh. Guess who was part of that presentation? Bob I Hoffman. Don't, really? Yes, you were. I'll, I'll send you a copy of the presentation. You're, you're you've been going on a lot of trips with me, virtually as well as uh, <laughs> around uh, the United States, where I give this presentation about you know some of the key ideas, the the most important ideas I think from the first two hundred seventy five or so books. 
And there's Bob Hoffman. And of course, you know, it really gets their, it gets their, uh, their attention. And then, you know, you were also, this is actually your fifth time, but the, the, the fourth time you were on authors in quarantine getting cocktails. So, and I appreciate that. Uh, That was a lot of fun, but that doesn't really count towards your uh, bonus miles. Uh, and, and that's yeah. it's more like an asterisk, sort of like, uh, you know, on the back of Barry Bonds baseball card. Okay. Then I, I won't include it in my, uh, in my resume. Okay. I'll, I'll, only, I'll say four times. Not five. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Very, okay. uh, very okay. important. So I want to open with just, uh, such an eminently quotable book, but I wanted to start with this over the past dozen or so years, I've done a lot of writing about the advertising industry. Much of it has been unflattering. This book is meant as a summary of the many things I'm skeptical about. I've drawn from my previous writing and speaking to create this compilation of grievances. I'm hoping it presents my skepticism clearly and concisely. I suspect there are a lot of people in the ad industry who secretly agree with me, but are not as irresponsible as I am, and for good reason keep their dangerous suspicions to themselves. Maybe this book will comfort them. If you work in advertising or marketing, or if you make decisions about advertising or marketing, I hope this book will provide you with a nice, healthy dose of unpopular, unfashionable opinions of the sort you don't usually get in polite company. If so, it will have done its job. And then moving on, there are a few author's notes, and I just want to mention one. You write, Mm -hmm. I like to write short books. Publishers don't like short books. They like big, fat books because it implies gravitas. I find the opposite. I find that most business books are about 30% information and 70% bullshit. I hate the bullshit, and it causes me not to finish reading most business books. My solution is to write 30% of a book and leave you 70% extra time to enjoy a martini or bake cupcakes or whatever else is you do for fun. Thanks are not necessary. So this weekend, Bob, I'm going to be having a martini yep. and a cupcake. <laughs> but, are you going to bake the cupcake yourself? Oh, I'm, I probably just, uh, well, yeah, no, I won't, but I'll probably oh. go find one somewhere. But I, okay. you know, I think it'll be a photo op. I can share it with people and I can drink the martini. Yeah. And, you know, it's yeah. kind of get back to my ad guy background because I was an <laughs> ad guy in New York and you were an ad guy for forever. And uh, maybe that's why we, we have a certain uh, simpatico. Yeah, je ne sais what. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or as the French would say, a certain I don't know what. So <laughs> let me ask yeah. you. Yeah. Seriously, I want to go on to ask you the very important question. On page 12, you say, to say that the last decade has not lived up to expectations is like saying Harvey Weinstein was a flirt. <laughs> That's Bob, pretty good. Bob yeah. Hoffman, what, what, is, what, what about this last decade? What are you, what are you well, talking it, about? It's been a mess, and it was supposed to be wonderful. I mean <clears> – <throat> We had great expectations. We had all these new media. We had all these new um, tools to use, and uh, we were expecting great things out of advertising. But it's turned out, if you speak to most every marketing expert, that they believe advertising has gotten less effective, not more effective. And and if you talk to creative people in any field, not just the advertising field, they'll tell you advertising has gotten worse, not better. And, um, you know, among the public, research that I've seen shows that our our regard for our industry is at a new low. You know, clients don't trust us. They, they you know, they think we're corrupt. Um, and they say that uh, kickbacks are, quote, pervasive in our industry, according to the Association of National Advertisers. Um, Regulators hate us. Governments are after us big time. They want to know what we're doing with all the data we're collecting and whether we're acting illegally. Um, So, and, and, you know, ad fraud is tens of billions of dollars. Marketers are losing tens of billions of dollars and marketers are taking their business in-house 
and we've had so many scandals and uh, consumers, I think, are being disgusted with tracking and being followed everywhere. So what was supposed to be a, a decade of, uh, of unique uh, success for the advertising industry, I think, has been a lost decade. I think we've gone backwards. Well, remind listeners what the miracle was that ad experts promised the business community. The miracle that the ad that the ad experts promised was interactivity, right? Consumers were going to be uh, fascinated with what we put online, and they were going to have conversations about it. They weren't going to just look at advertising; they were going to interact with it, and it was going to be much more engaging. And they were going to join the conversation about everything we did. And uh, you know, it turned out that people. Uh, have very little interest in interacting with advertising. They're interacting with everything else on the web, but they're not interacting with advertising. I mean, what's the click? The overall click-through rate is generally reported about five clicks in 10,000 ads served. Now, that ain't interacting in my business. That's the opposite of interacting. That's ignoring So uh, that, that was the, you know, the major miracle that was promised. Well, you write that a great many of the difficulties we have endured in the ad business are related to a wider misjudgment of the role the internet would play in our lives and society. Explain what you mean there. Well, the internet, once again, was going to be a miracle. It was going to it was going to change our lives in so many ways, and it was going to empower us, and it was going to make the world more democratic, and uh, and it would equalize people throughout. And, you know, it, there was a very utopian kind of uh, feeling about the web at the beginning. And now, you know, um, it, boy, has the web caused problems. Uh, and, uh, yes, there's some great parts of it. There are things, look, we're, we're talking now over the web and we get to, but man, it's far from utopian. We, 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 we've had so many problems. We have so much, I mean, elections are being undermined. Our, Our confidence in the democratic processes are being undermined. Um, We know that uh, foreign governments are tampering with everything that goes on on the web. And so the problems that the advertising industry have had with the web are not unique. There's a whole context of web-related problems that was not seen by by the web utopians 20 years ago. And now we're suffering through them. So moving on, you say that people in our industry, meaning uh, advertising and marketing, are misinformed to a degree that is startling. What, yeah. What, explain. Well, you know, I anytime I get in front of advertising students and I ask them questions, um, you know, what percentage of this, you know, what percent of um, – Video viewing is done on the web versus television. What what percent of uh, ads are clicked on? What and they don't know. They have no idea. And um, in the book, I think I give a few examples of how misinformed not just students but people in the industry are. You know, they in research done by people smarter than me. Among advertising executives, the the, the the executives are off by, in one case, 900% in All their right. estimate. In, in, in other cases, 600%. I mean, not off by 4%, 8%. You know, maybe if you're really dumb, you're off by 25% in, in, in knowing answers to, to – to, simple questions about what, what's happening uh, um, in media. But – to be off by 900%, it, it, it um, makes you lose confidence in the, the advice you're getting and in, in the things that people in the agency business are saying. That really got my attention. I even shared this with a, a colleague. Of course, I had to hold the book up to the Zoom camera. <laughs> 
but I so he couldn't read it. But it was yeah. it's it's where you say think box, the TV trade organization in the UK commissioned a study right. about advertisers' assumptions about consumer media behavior with the facts and the disparity. It said like a percent engaging in various online activities. And I thought this one was funny. It said advertisers thought 93% were using LinkedIn. And then the other column says only 14%. Right. Or uh, what was the other one here? Twitter. 81% of advertisers thought everyone was on Twitter. Real people, 22%. And on yeah. and on. And the number, the amount of time spent there. Yeah, it was – that one kind of got my uh, – Got my yeah. opinion. There was another concept in the book, though, that uh, I, I guess I hadn't seen before. Maybe it was in a, one of your many original ideas. But explain yeah. what fame has to do with advertising. I'd never seen this before. Well, I, I actually – the idea – I first read about the idea from Rory Sutherland. Oh. You know Rory? Yeah. yeah, he was on the, the Marketing Book Podcast. Yeah, and I was reading something or I was listening to something he was doing, and he was talking about the amazing benefits that fame creates. And um, in all in all areas of of life, if you're famous, people are far more likely to answer your phone calls, go to work for you agree to have dinner or lunch with you. And and I think the same is true in advertising that one of the most important things, if you look at all the major brands in the world, what do they all have in common? They're famous. And how do you achieve fame? Well, that advertising is one way. There are several ways to achieve fame. Advertising is one way. Advertising is probably the most expensive way to achieve fame, but it's probably also the most reliable mm-hmm. because in, in other ways, you know, public relations, you can become famous through that. You like can become, Elon Musk and Tesla. Uh, yeah. You can become famous for being a big loud mouth like Elon Musk. And you could be famous for, you know, your brand could be famous because it's extremely excellent, but the odds of that happening are kind of small. If you, if you want to spend enough money on advertising, you can become famous. And fame creates an enormous benefit to you when you're fighting against brands that are not famous. And uh, the example I give is uh, um, some guy, you're riding down the road, and you're, you're in a small town of Nowheresville, USA. And on the left, there's a McDonald's. And on the right, there's a uh, Bubba's Burgers, right? And the odds are that Bubba's Burgers are going to be a lot better than McDonald's Burgers. But the odds are you're going to go to McDonald's. And why is that? Because McDonald's burgers, you know you're not going to die from. It's not going to be poisonous. Bubba's might. Um, and uh, McDonald's will be relatively clean. You don't know what Bubba's is going to look like. And why do you believe that? Why do you believe that even though even though marginally um, Bubba's burgers may be considerably better than McDonald's, you're going to go to McDonald's because they're famous. They have a lot to lose by giving you a bad burger and a, and a filthy store. So somehow the fame that they have creates a confidence in you, whether they deserve it or not, it makes it more likely that you will use that product. A, a, a famous product has a very large benefit, and and advertising can help create that. Let's get into some of the more granular things where you talk about data, and yeah. everybody wants to talk about data. It's the yeah. fuel of the modern kind. Of, <laughs> I've heard yeah. it all. I'm sure you've yeah. heard it all at all those conferences you go to. Yes, and I have. You talk about how in marketing and advertising, we have uh, two ways of doing things. We can measure every little data point, or we can see the big changes. Is it's it's either or? Is that your experience? And, and no. what do you mean? It's not either or. The data data is just a fancy word for information, and information is good to have. There's no question about that, and and you want to have information. But 
we the kind of information that you get is do you want every little tiny detail or do you want the information that shows you the big picture that that's that's what to me, that's the, the conflict that we have now. Everyone knows what every little tree looks like, but they can't see what the forest looks like. And I think that we're, we're using the wrong math. I, I, I don't think that the math of every little data point is that important. The, 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 the math that's important is probability. What's the likelihood of someone, what can you do to increase the likelihood that someone will buy your brand or buy, or buy your product? And that and that's where I get to. I think I use the the uh, example of a casino where you go in there with your data analyst and you watch the roulette ball go around. You keep track of everything that, and it came up red three times in a row. It came up five times in a row, and then this and when he when he spun the ball left handed it when uh, it came up red and went right, right hand it went that way and, and all and you get all this data and the house doesn't need any of that data and they they win all the time because they know the big picture they know that they have a five percent advantage because there are there's there's 18 red 18 black and five and two green so they have a five percent advantage, and they're more likely to win. And by by knowing those, by seeing the big things, by knowing the big things, they have a five percent advantage, and they never lose. Meanwhile, you go in with data, and he's counting how many times, how many that it was the wind blowing east or west, and uh, you lose all the time. So, so the. There's nothing wrong with data just as long as it's used sensibly and it, and it gives you a big picture and you understand that data only helps you understand probability. There's no yeses or nos. There's no always or nevers. There's no black or whites in marketing. It's likelihoods and probabilities and you have to use data and use your brain to figure out what the most likely outcomes of what you're doing are. We have to use our brain? Oh, I'm, man. I'm sorry. That lets us out. But there are people <laughs> listening who, who might be helped by this. Right. right. Now, I think for yeah. a long time, as it relates to targeting people with you know advertising, yeah. and uh, everyone thought that's it's, it's hard to argue against, it, it seems. Like, oh, we're, yes. we're, there's no waste. We're, we're just going to target people. We're going to micro-target them. But not Bob Hoffman. Explain your heretical views on media buying. I think targeting might be a um, – I think the whole science of media studies may be phony. And I know this is going to upset a lot of people and they're going to think I'm stupid. That's why I invited you on. The- yeah. <laughs> but uh, I don't think you need to know that much to target sensibly. If once again, you use your head, for example, what do I need to know if I'm selling golf balls? What do I need to know to target my, my most likely prospect? Do they play golf? Bingo. If they play golf, I can target them. And I don't care what how many what their bank account, what kind of car they drive, how tall their chickens are. Uh, this all this stuff that we study about people and and we refine and we refine and we refine and we refine and it costs us more and more money the more refinements we do to targeting and it costs us more and more to buy media against finer and finer targets for the most part i think it's a waste of money what what do you need to sell lipstick to people if it's a woman it's more likely to wear lipstick okay it's not it's you don't have to be a genius Guys can wear lipstick. We're not saying that. Yeah, absolutely. Anyone can come. I'm happy to see anyone in lipstick. But if you're a marketer and you're selling lipstick, you want to find your most likely customer. And you don't have to be a genius. You don't need 9,000 different data points on who wears lipstick. And I, w- I would love to see 
and I've invited people from time to time to do this, just just to do a a test on on return in 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 uh, matched markets. In one case, do all the very detailed data science you want, and in another case, just say, does this person participate in my category or not? And do a split test and see. Now, I know in direct response, they do this all the time. But what I'm talking about is in brand and product advertising. Right. And and find a way to determine. And if I'm crazy, I'll, I'll be happy to admit it. But I have a feeling we've taken data and media science way beyond where it's doing us more good than harm. And um, that's just, you know, that's one of my real weird opinions. But I, you know, I think if you just know, you know, when uh, I think, I think it was Augustine Fu who said, once you have three parameters on a person, you've already, once you go with three parameters, you've already um, eliminated 98% of the market. I forget which three parameters. And then they were, they were nothing special, sex, age, and uh, zip code or something. I don't know. So h- how much more detail does targeting, does media targeting really need to be? I don't think it's that, uh, I don't think it's that difficult. And maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but that's the way I look at it. I, you know, Byron Sharp says target everyone. And I, I, you know, that I don't quite agree with because every budget definition is, in essence, a targeting definition. You know, if you had all the money in the world, yes, you can target everyone. If you don't have all the money in the world, if your budget it doesn't allow for that, then you have to make targeting decisions based on likelihoods and probabilities. So that's, uh, that's where I'm at. So if I were an ad salesperson, I would yeah. probably be talking about how great and how targeted this is, even if yeah. it weren't yeah. you know, really making a lot of difference because it makes people feel like they're being smart and they're not yeah. having any waste, any of that terrible yeah, yeah. advertising waste. Yeah, but wa- waste to a large degree is the part that works in advertising. It's the part that creates fame, Okay. Wasted, you know, you put up a, um, you put up a billboard for something and you can't control who sees it. There's, you know, everyone's going to see it. Billboards create a lot of fame. Television commercials, when, you know, when they were in their heyday, created a lot of fame, not with very, uh, very precise targeting, but with general mass reach. And I think general mass reach, if you want to build a brand, a a big successful brand, general mass reach is how you have to do it. I can't think of any, well, maybe there are a couple of very large major brands that have been built by, quote, precision precision one-to-one targeting, which is what the online advertising industry is trying to sell us. If you think of all the big major brands in the world, the Nikes and the Coca-Colas and the Budweiser's and the Fords and the Chevrolet's and the Tides and the, any, you know, indeed any big brand, you think they were built on mass market advertising. They weren't built on one-to-one precision targeting. One-to-one precision targeting is, in my opinion, private advertising. Mass market Mass reach medium media are public advertising. And I think if you want to build a very large, big brand, you need to do advertising in public, not in private. Okay, but then how do you do that in this era where mass reach is increasingly difficult? Uh, Like, for instance, every time I read an article about the Super Bowl advertising, which yeah. We may not have one this year, but right. they'll come yeah. back sometime. They say, well, it's one of the few mass reach uh, vehicles. How can people get use mass reach now? That, that's why you need a good 
media strategist. I'm not a media strategist. I'm a copywriter with a big mouth. You need a good media strategist who can tell you how to do, how to reach lots. Of, there are still ways to reach lots of people. Mm-hmm. You know, someone who knows what they're doing, who sees things this way, who th- sees things the way you do. Most media strategists now don't see that this way. They think that one-to-one personalized messages are the way to advertise. I don't think so. I think that one-to-one, and you know, I go into it fairly deeply in the book, one-to-one personalized messages, I don't think build brands, not the way that mass media does. And, you know, how do we do mass media these days? That's for a media strategist to tell you. It's not for a copywriter with a big mouth to tell you. So you mentioned uh, Byron Sharp a minute ago. And when I introduced you, I mentioned Byron Sharp and Mark Ritson. And I want to talk about them. Yeah. And you, just because the the listeners should be paying attention to them. And also, coincidentally, I've heard so much about Byron Sharp's book, How Brands Grow. Yeah. Today, I reached out to him on LinkedIn to invite him on the show. So if there's anybody uh-huh. out there, particularly in Australia, who uh, yeah. know Byron Sharp, please urge yeah. him to come on to the Marketing Book Podcast. I, I know him. I'll, I'll, I'll send him uh, an email for you. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, sure. Well, then you'll then we can maybe make your Authors in Quarantine episode a little less asterisky. <laughs> well, so we'll give you a, a credit. Okay. Okay, yeah. give me a credit. Because yeah. those Denny's, you know, yeah. those, those Denny's uh, early bird specials, I need a Grand Slam breakfast myself, so <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm bound for that all the way. Yeah. Right. Now, I'm yeah. assuming those kind of restaurants are in Oakland. I don't know. Um, oh, yeah. We got it they? all here. Yeah, we got everything. Yeah. So you say, I'm much more interested in the creative side of advertising than I am in the marketing and media parts, but there are a couple of marketing people I pay particular attention to. They are yeah. Byron yeah. Sharp and Mark yeah. Ritson. Yeah. And you write that they're both professors and both work in Australia. And then you say, since this Ritson has left academia to concentrate on his private sector pursuits, but I believe he is there. And Sharp wrote How Brands Grow, which is a wonderful marketing book and probably the most influential of this era. Ritson is one of the most entertaining, outrageous, and sensible speakers and writers on marketing you'll ever come across. Yeah. Here, here. And then you write, unlike me, they're not just bomb throwing <laughs> blowhards. These guys actually know things. Yeah. And so you started to touch on that, but explain explain the dichotomy of these of these two guys as it relates to targeting uh, as well as yeah. segmenting. Yeah. So um So you said Byron he he wants to target everybody. Yeah. The the uh First, let's talk about what they have in common because they have a lot more in common than what they what they differ. Yeah, I got the impression that this may be the only thing they don't agree on. Yeah, I think they both feel that the marketing world and the advertising world have become a clown show. Uh, I don't think they have a whole lot of confidence in the um, in the abilities of agencies or marketing departments these days. They, they they won't say that out loud because you know they do business with agencies and, and marketing departments. So they, they have to be a little more circumspect than I am. But where they where they disagree is on targeting and segmentation. And um, and Byron Sharp's point of view is that to the extent possible you should target everyone because you think you know where your uh, users are coming from, but you really don't. And that um, a lot of a lot of your brand's users come from very light usage. They, they, they may use your product like once a year, and yet they can make up almost 50% of your users, these very light users. Uh, Mark Ritson's point of view is that segmentation is extremely important and that uh, targeting everyone is not realistic and irresponsible and like that. And I'm kind of in between them. I I feel like um, to the extent possible, target everyone you can. But knowing that budget restrictions are going to cause you to not be able to target everyone, that there is uh, that there are certain segments that are more likely and more probable to be profitable for you. 
So, so I'm kind of in between them. And I think if you got them sitting down quietly and talking together, they, they would agree on a lot more than they disagree on when it comes to targeting, because they're both very sensible people and both very smart. And I think that, um, we as, as commentators about them tend to overemphasize the differences rather than the similarities in how they look at targeting. So, Bob, one of the big mistakes I see lots and lots of people, marketers, yeah. business people, pretty much everyone, mm -hmm. is thinking that everyone is logical. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, let me just quote you say, um, yeah. we have two major competing models of consumer behavior. The first model suggests that consumer behavior is basically logical. And I think that's more people think that. And, mm. and you say that, you know, you, you think that people, those are the people that think people behave rationally and do not throw their money away on stupid crap. Mm -hmm. I'm quoting, okay? You then, <laughs> you, you then go on to say that the second model asserts that consumer behavior is essentially non-rational or emotional. I, I want you to talk about where you are on this continuum, but also introduce this term that I think you introduce you coined in this book called behavioral plasticity, which is yeah. the, this duality. Yeah. So um, I, I liken this to quantum physics where something can sometimes behave as a particle and sometimes as a wave, even though it's the same thing, it can be defined as a wave or as a particle. And we have kind of a binary thing about um, people uh, people in our industry think that people either behave logically or emotionally, and it's one or the other. And I, I, you know, I call it quantum advertising. It's not one or the other. It's both. And people sometimes behave logically and sometimes behave emotionally. And that if you are stuck in one of those camps, if you're ideologically committed to the idea that people always that people are logic machines and they always, uh, you know, behave logically, or if you're in the other camp and you believe that people are puppy dogs and they always behave emotionally, you're wrong. And and not and it's not just one type of person who's logical and one type who's emotional. We're all partially logical and partially emotional, we all sometimes behave logically and sometimes we behave emotionally. And we never know when we're going to, we, in the same category, we may behave logically one day and emotionally the next day. We may buy a, a beer today because we read that it's made with a certain kind of uh, ingredients that we never tasted in a beer before. And we want to taste that and it's a logical thing. And, and so we try that. And the next day we, we may buy a beer because for reasons we don't know, but maybe we saw a commercial that made it look like fun and it rang an emotional bell with us. And that's, and so my point of view is that we have quantum quantum advertising where we're not really sure if it's an emotional or a logical decision we, we can't really quant quantify how much of a decision is logical versus emotional although we probably know there's components of both in every decision and it's one of the mysteries of of the advertising business that i think makes advertising so fascinating is that we never really know we think we know you know we pretend we know but we don't really know <laughs> and uh we have to pretend we well, know well i knew some creative directors who thought they knew everything oh yeah well creative directors do know everything there's no question about do that do you know who my creative director was no jim patterson james patterson the novelist really that's cool <laughs> That's and cool. he was so mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some some creative directors are brilliant and wonderful, and some are not so brilliant and mean, and some are brilliant and mean, and some and so it's like it's just like anyone else. And You're so I'm just saying yeah. I've been screamed at by a best selling yeah. novelist. And there you go. Uh, frankly, yeah. Yeah. he really wasn't any better at screaming than some of those people in the army I was with. So <laughs> Okay, so can I do I get to ask you a question? Can I ask uh, you a question? Okay. 
Okay, I know what the question is. I know what the question is. No, you is. don't. You don't those, know what the Those question. charges were dropped, Bob. <laughs> so, so you've read more marketing books than probably anyone in the world. And, um, There's nothing else to do. <laughs> when you read this book and you saw I was, you know, being abusive toward a lot of the a lot of the uh, things we take for granted as truths in marketing and advertising. What's your reaction to that? It got me thinking. You Did know, it really? I'm, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm, you even had the word in here, lemmings. And I just thought, you yeah. know, there's some things in the past where I was like, of course, that's the accepted wisdom, the accepted, you know, knowledge. And I think also in this whole pandemic we've gone through, it's just made – I don't know that it started it, but it's just made people even more skeptical of everything. Uh-huh. So maybe Bob Hoffman is just washing over the public. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a horrifying thought. Well, it's uh, working. It's working. <laughs> so. Yeah. You know, when, when I wrote this, when I write anything, it's like, for me, there's no value if I'm going to write things that everyone else believes and everyone else says, the value in writing is in giving people a different way to think about things. And that, that's what I tried to do in the book. So I, I'm glad you said that because that, that makes me feel good. Well, here's the other thing. I can remember they would have this, this – at my local university, they would crunch all this economic data, and then there would be a presentation every year where they would basically say this is the status of the local economy. And they would look at certain things uh, each year and uh, do special analyses of th- certain things. And this professor uh, – actually, he used to be the president of Old Dominion University, Dr. Uh, Cook. And he – so he would give this presentation, and he was an economist by training. So he would give this thing, and he wasn't running for office. In fact, I think he was retired as the head of the university. So he wasn't running for office, and he wasn't trying to sell anything. He was just presenting the data. And every single year, one of the cities or elected officials would get extremely pissed off at him because <laughs> he would show, you know, th- this is not working. They're wasting money or whatever. And it yeah, just kind of yeah. reminded me of that of, well, you know, maybe he's one of those, uh, one of those truth tellers that upsets a lot of people. But you, the, the problem I have with Bob Hoffman is that yeah. you back all this stuff up with this um, data and all these uh, <laughs> studies. It would be better if you would just give the impression you're kind of, kind of winging it. So that's, and I can remember in your keynote, you, you, you were talking about that and you were citing chapter and verse and it was like, damn it, damn it. In fact, it even got me to ratchet down my BS for a couple of days until I knew that you were going back to California. Yeah. That didn't last long, did it? No, no. no, Cause in fact, the next, the day after you left that night, you flew back. And the next morning when I, you know, they opened the conference up and I was up on the stage and I said, Hey, Everybody can relax now because Bob Hoffman has left the building. We can go. It was all a bunch of agency people. So, you know, make up your own joke. I said, all right, we can all go back to that BS that we're so comfortable with. And there was an awful lot of nervous laughter at that joke. So so there you go, Bob Hoffman. Well, you know, it's very important to me because there are so many people in our business who just stand up and make assertions. Oh, like the whole section in your book about all these conferences you go to, and you try to speak first so you can leave and not have to listen to them? Yes. I mean, you know. Assertion after assertion. But then you have listened to some, and uh, the platitudes were soaring. Yes. It's uh, it's frightening. Frightening to listen. And these, these are highly regarded people without an ounce of facts, just assertions. So yeah. I, I am very careful when I do my talks and when I write to to back it up with uh, numbers, with data, man, with data. I'm well, listen, data. I want to quit. I just want to back that up and then I want to go over two other things before we wrap okay. up. And uh, you say, in our world, yeah. wisdom has been replaced by trend spotting. The people most highly regarded in our industry are not those with the best record of creating success, but those with the best fairy tales about what's coming next. We have become an industry of idiot futurists who think we can predict what's coming tomorrow, but seem to be completely blind to what's happening today. And yeah. uh, there is the, the one of the people that's in the Marketing Book Podcast, Six Timers Club, is uh, Rohit Bhargava. And now he's an exception to that, in my opinion, because I've read almost all his books. And mm-hmm. what he had done in the past was every year he would update this book on trends that he was curating. Mm-hmm. But 
every single year he went back and graded whether the predictions were working. He's the only guy that I knew that did that. But he's he's actually stopped that series. He did a big big one in 2020 and, and they went on from there. So, mm-hmm. but let me, well, I'm sorry, go yeah. ahead. Well, yeah. I, I, like I said, I go to conferences and I listen to these people talk about the future and um, it's great. You can't go wrong by talking about the future because nobody can fact check the future. So you can say whatever you want and 10 years from now, when it doesn't happen, who cares? You've ca- you've cashed your check already. Nobody remembers what you said, but you were a genius at the time for predicting this, even though it was all wrong. And I see that you go to a conference and almost everyone is talking about the future. They're not talking about what's actually happening on the ground now. And it, it just drives me crazy. As soon as I start to hear a presentation uh, about someone who's going to tell us what the future is going to be like. I just turn off. I go get a drink. And uh, if you wanted to talk to me about what's happening now, explain to me why this is happening now. Don't, don't hide in the future where no one can know whether you're right or wrong. Look, Bob Hoffman, I'm going to make it difficult for all those futurists. Okay. There's yeah. only three things you need to know about the future. One all meals will come in pill form. <laughs> Number two, we'll all have flying cars. And three, the world will be ruled by damn dirty apes. <laughs> yep. I'm sorry. I, I stole that yeah. from uh, my yeah. uh, my hero, Austin Powers. Yeah. So there's, there's two other things. I just yeah. I can't resist. Uh, you know, Bob yeah. Hoffman, I, I visualize you and you're like a big fuse that needs to be lit. And I want to ask you yeah. – uh, to respond to this, uh, basically, yeah. why does marketing hate old people? And I just yeah. want to quote, you, you said it would not be an exaggeration to say that for much of the past decade, the marketing and media industries have been obsessed with the new species of humans called millennials, the poor <laughs> bastards born between 1980 and 2000, who have been credited with and blamed for everything that's right and wrong in contemporary society. What's your beef with this? My beef is that the research industry and to some degree the marketing industry has to come up with new things to sell us all the time. And the, the and the most they they have found that the most profitable thing to sell us is a new generation. So every 15 years or so they come up with a new generation that's a whole new species of person who they behave completely different from everything else before them. They're a whole new thing. They, um, and they sell it to, to marketers. And uh, if you want to know the truth about this new species of human beings, you have to hire us because we're the only ones who really understand these people. And it's all bullshit. There, there is no, there's just as much variation within generations as there is between generations. You can't take hundreds of millions of people and say they're all this or they're all that. It's like, it's like uh, astrology. You know, all Virgos are this and all Capricorns are that. It, it's bullshit. And it provides much less value than the than what you pay for it. Um, yes, yes, but Bob, Bob yeah. Hoffman. Yeah, I read on some ad agency website. I don't remember which one, that, but they said millennials have all the buying yeah. power. Yeah. What do you say to that? Huh? Yeah, huh? I say to that bullshit. Double squared. Uh, the buying power is with people over fifty. People over fifty are responsible for more than half of all consumer product spending in the U.S. and are the target for between 5 and 10% of marketing, at, uh, marketing and advertising activity. This is completely insane. It makes no sense. Well, are they, 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 do they then come back and say, yeah, but we want to reach people when they're young so they'll stay with us? Is that one of the yeah. excuses? Yeah, reach them when they're 16 so that uh, 40 years from now they'll remember your commercial from today. They, what's the ROI on that? I'd like to know. It's, it's utter bullshit. And what it is is it's marketing by selfie stick. We have people who are in their 20s and 30s marketing to people like them because they think everyone is like them and everyone is not like them. 
and the marketing industry is blowing billions of dollars, tens, hundreds of billions of dollars by ignoring the most important target for marketing activity the world has ever seen. And that is people over 50. And they just ignore these people. And it makes no sense. But when you look at the makeup of the advertising industry, you know why it's like that. Because 6% of people in advertising agencies are over 50. 94% are under 50. So the, the sexism inherent in the advertising industry leads to advertising that is stupid and not targeted where it needs to be targeted to a very large degree. So, Bob, in, in Oakland, California, do you live in a yes. house or a, uh, an apartment building? House. You live in a house? Yes. So you do have a yard, and do, are you ever tempted to go out and tell kids to get off of it? Every day. Get off my lawn. <laughs> I, I Actually, I have a neon sign out front. Oh, that says, get off my lawn. You yeah. probably don't, but uh, if they ever yeah. cast a guy to do that. Okay, I know I, I said this I'd before. Be great at that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Two other big things I want to ask you about. Yeah. Um, on a panel discussion at a marketing conference, uh, yeah. you once said that there are hundreds of advertising and marketing people who are skeptical of the claims of social media marketers. Yeah. Explain yeah. why you are so vocal in your criticism of the social media industry. Okay, there are a couple of there are a couple of reasons. First we have changed what social media means. Social media marketing used to be an alternative to advertising. It used to be about conversations and sharing, and it was free. You would place something on Facebook, you would place something on um, Twitter, and uh, someone would like it, and they'd share it with their friends, and it wouldn't cost you a cent. And, and social media was going to be the alternative to advertising. Now social media is no longer the alternative to advertising because all the stuff about sharing and joining conversations turned out to be complete bullshit. And the only way to get through to people on social media was to buy traditional paid advertising, which is what Facebook, for example, but all the other social media have become. Facebook is now the largest repository of what it was supposed to replace, which is traditional paid advertising. Yes, and in the book, you included that statistic I see all the time, but yet surprises almost every prospective client I talk to, which is that Facebook only shows what you post on your company page to approximately 1% of your fans. You want yeah. more? You got to pay them. Yeah. And I'm not even sure they're 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 doing one percent, and I don't even know what the you know the latest thing I read about that, which was at least three or four years ago, was that it was down to one percent. I don't even know if it's one percent anymore. Yeah. But if you think you're reaching your your customers on Facebook organically, you're insane. You're, yeah. you're not. You have to pay. It's traditional paid advertising and nothing else. So, Bob, your books are really entertaining and incisive. and But your book, Bad Men, yeah. uh, while you've got your traditional humor in there, that book kind of messed me up. <laughs> I say that <laughs> because I had no idea of the massive amount of fraud that's going on in uh, digital advertising. I think you said uh, in your book that it's now only second to uh, drug trafficking in terms of organized crime. Just talk briefly about how the ad industry has evolved from silly to dangerous. The ad industry is funding with tens of billions of dollars criminal enterprises all over the world because we have not done what is necessary to prevent online ad fraud. And it's only getting worse. I would recommend those who are listening here who are, who are not up on this to check out a study done by Professor Roberto Cavazzo of the University of Baltimore. He's a, he's a PhD in economics and a um, 
specialist in fraud. He did a study of ad fraud, and I, you know, I can't quote his exact words, but it was something like this. I've never seen anything like this in my life. The amount of fraud in online advertising is, nobody knows for sure how big it is. Everyone has their own estimate, but it is huge, and it is stealing money from every marketer in the world, and it is, and it's getting that money to very bad people. Some, you know, there there was an art. Um, CNBC did something uh, a few weeks ago. I don't know if you saw it, uh, Douglas, but this woman who's a writer for them, she decided to see how easy it would be to get fraudulent ad income. So, and she she's no technological expert. She's just a regular person who has the same you know technology skills as you or I do. She says she she stole content from some websites. She cut and pasted content, put put up her own website, give it gave it a fancy name, and um and and signed up with uh, Google with um, their network, and they accepted her, even though all the content on her website was stolen. And pretty soon, she's starting to get advertising on her website and starting to earn money from it. So you don't have to be a, a criminal genius to figure out how to become an ad fraudster. And the, the what's going on is absurd. And the Association of National Advertisers, the uh, four A's, and the um, and the uh, in, internet, the IAB are all pretending that it's getting smaller and it's not really a problem. And they are wrong. It's a huge problem and it is only growing all the time. And fraudsters are finding new and better ways to cheat us out of money. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a very big problem. Let me just add to that. It's Professor Roberto Cavazzo, University of Baltimore, and he said, I right. studied the economic costs of fraud in many sectors for decades, and I was left stunned by the scale of fraud in online advertising. And he participated in a study conducted by a cybersecurity firm called Check, C-H-E-Q, Q. Right. called yeah. The Economic Cost of Bad Actors on the Internet, Ad Fraud 2019. I will try to get some links to that on your episode's show notes Good. at marketingbookpodcast.com. So, Bob, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? It would be to buy the book now. Well, they're readers, so they <laughs> – they, I knew you were okay. going to say what? that. They, they're okay. readers of the book, so they, they probably either stole it. <laughs> or they bought it, so they will okay, have then buy it. it for a friend now. Okay. okay. Well, the takeaway is this. Uh, the advertising industry, the marketing industry, um, we think we know things that we don't really know. And it's important to be skeptical when you're told things because – you, you need to, you can't rely on the legends and the rituals that advertising has always gone by. Uh, things are changing too radically, and you really have to, when someone tells you something, the question you have to ask is, how do you know that? And um, if they can't give you a a, a reasonable description of how they know that and a convincing description of how they know that, then you cannot accept it as fact. And you just answered the second question I was going to ask is what's one thing a listener can do today to put an action idea from your book? Just at w one point during the day, yep. say to someone or say to yourself or a news source, how do you know that? Because yep. in the book, you even talked about how – I was joking about how I read on um, on an ad agency website somewhere about how millennials had all the buying power. And you actually went back and reverse engineered <laughs> something in the media and figured out that the media had taken that completely wrong information about millennials having most of the buying power. And it all went back to some flimsy blog post on an ad agency website. I mean, yes. an ad agency, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and these things become facts. The, the more the bullshit is repeated, 
the more it becomes a fact. And like you said, I reverse engineered one of these so-called facts and found and found where it came from. And it came from some some idiotic thing that someone wrote on 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 a, on a website. And next thing you know, it's in Forbes in in, in an article in Forbes as a fact. How do you know that? Yes, take that take that with you to work today, listeners. So at marketingbookpodcast.com, we're going to include links to your uh, sites and some of these other things that we've talked about uh, so yeah. that people can find them. And I'll include uh, Bob's LinkedIn profile so listeners can check him out there and hopefully uh, maybe even connect with him and thank him for being on this podcast. There's almost a million podcasts out there and these authors have a lot of choices now. So, And for you, dear listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, uh, like iTunes or whatever the kids call it these days, Apple Podcasts, all these links can be found by going to this episode and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is Advertising for Skeptics. The author is Bob Hoffman. Bob, thank you very much for returning for the fourth time to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you, Douglas. It's great to be back. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who've left an iTunes review, I really appreciate it and would like to return your kind favor by mailing you a thank you note and include a Marketing Book Podcast bookmark and laptop sticker. Just message me on LinkedIn, your mailing address, anywhere in the world, and I'll drop it in the mail. And if you'd like to record a question that could be played and answered on a future episode, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.